Hey, Johnny. All right, Tyler. You like you too, don't you? Yeah. Then you might like Parachutes by Coldplay. So as the strains of yellow die away, I'd like to welcome you all to our new podcast, Then You Might Like. The hosts are me, Johnny, and Tyler, the hosts of Review 2. And we thought we'd try something a little bit different as we've got our way through all of the U2 albums. So, Tyler, why have you chosen Parachutes by Coldplay on this inaugural episode of Then You Might Like? Um, well, I think over the past 20 years, certainly the latter part of U2's career, and more so well, the beginning part of Coldplay's career, they've been increasingly compared to the likes of U2, but not just U2, and I don't want to keep referring back to U2 all the time. Yes. Uh, so I'll say U2 one more time, and then I'm done with it. But they've well, also... I, I won't be, but go on. No, fair enough. They've been compared to acts like Queen and Elton John, particularly for the, their energetic live sets, uh, coupled with the swaying love ballads. Um, and it, put, it does put them in the same conversation, even if it, it seems a bit... I, I feel a bit funny because I've been I've grown up with a lot of criticism on on Coldplay. Well, yeah, uh, so I think like like you too, they which I am going to keep mentioning. <laughs> um, they get a lot of stick for being perceived as middle of the road. I remember seeing a web page, um, which makes me sound about hundred years old, um, that said something like "Battle of the Blands." And it was Coldplay versus U two. So they get spoke about in the same breath. They get a lot of the same criticisms, and there's obviously. A big crossover in terms of uh, perceptions of their charity work and that being against the kind of billionaire lifestyle that they seem to cultivate as well. Yeah, there's always, you don't have to go far on the internet to find some anger directed towards Coldplay. Mm. And it's normally when they're being compared to either the contemporaries or, or you know, the greats of, of the past from, from rock and pop. But I, I honestly think that what Coldplay have managed to do is to reinvent their aesthetic while continuing to churn out hits. Uh, like you too, and critically acclaimed albums. Like you too, yeah. And you kind of, you can't argue against success, but people constantly try to. So I would say, despite Coldplay having the detractors, you mm-hmm. really can't take anything away from them. They have been one of the best or most successful bands of the past twenty years. I mm. I would argue, and I think they've um, they've had that playful relationship with you two and success as well. It seemed like. Because they are, I don't know what the timescale would be, you know, 10, 20 years behind U2 in terms of when they hit the actual scene. You know, when U2 had the Joshua Tree, you know, Chris Martin and his, and his ilk probably in, in diapers or whatever, you know, by that particular point. So there's been that, that repartee between the two of them. Uh, I was reading something where Bono called, uh, called Martin a completely dysfunctional character and a cretin on live uh, radio, as well as a great melodist. And Martin sort of joked back saying, well, I think, uh, you know, it's great that we're arch nemesis. So yeah. I think that's, uh, sorry, arch enemies. So they have a kind of mutual respect for each other. They've used each other's music on tours. Uh, Coldplay, obviously, and we've covered this when we talked about... Um, the uh what episode was it that we talked about chris martin doing songs of with or without you oh no you're on about substitute uh, substitute two yeah which just gets easy to say yeah um <laughs> I, was that in the build-up to songs of experience it must have been yeah but regardless 
Martin yeah. stepped in for Bono. You know, they are obviously people who have a, a big connection. But in terms of their actual sound as well, I think this is a thing that, that drew these comparisons. Obviously, it goes back to the music. Um, so Edge, Edge actually stated in an interview in Glastonbury um, that... Johnny Buckland is an inspiration to guitar players everywhere, and I'm proud to know that I was one of his main influences. It makes me feel like a real rock star. So it's obvious that, um, and Johnny Buckland has said as much that he he consciously, like like me as a guitarist, obviously I can't really put myself in the, in that same category, but I consciously try to emulate Edge's sound, and I like it. I like doing that, and I think it's a great way of playing the guitar. Um, Johnny Buckland obviously has taken that on, and we're going to see in this album in particular a lot of very, very edgy sounds, quite early edgy sounds, nice, delicate, shimmering sort of notes, that kind of thing. Yeah, so this is the first review of Then You Might Like. Yep. I would like to take you all the way back to the very first humble beginnings of Johnny Buckland, Chris Martin, Guy Berryman and Will Champion as we look at Coldplay's debut album, Parachutes. So before we unwrap this particular album and stick it on the CD player, um, which is how I would have listened to it back in the day in 2000, um, the cover. So the cover, um, I've always thought, is really, really iconic. And as soon as I got this up on Spotify to listen to it, because I've you know got straight into the 21st century, I really enjoyed seeing that cover. It's very familiar to me. Um, that globe-spinning classic Coldplay lettering. But that... I think it's terrible. Like, what did it cost? Twelve pounds from W. H. Smiths. You think the actual uh, well, the 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 photo was taken with a disposable Kodak camera, and the globe itself was from W. H. Smiths. It cost ten pounds, and uh, it was featured in the music videos for Shiver and Don't Panic. Um, I think it's a great. You think it's a bad album? Yeah, I don't. I don't like it at all. Wow, our first disagreement on this uh, on this new podcast. Um, well, fair enough. Um, so yeah, I I think it's I think it's a good way to to. Well, just be- just before we do this, uh, I like I liked when we first started out with review two to just kind of set the scene of what was happening in music, what, who was selling records at that, that time, who was popular in the charts. So I do actually have the top ten from uh, July the tenth, two thousand, when this album debuted. Don't hit me. Uh, in at number ten, we have Breathless by The Cause. Good song. I've done this the wrong way around. I've got the 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 thing. Um, the, the wrong way around. Ever so, the professional. Yeah, so we'll start again. So in at number 10, we have I Want Your Love by Atomic Kitten. Number 9, Sandstorm by Darude. Good song. In at number 8, Gotta Tell You by Samantha Mumba. Never heard of it. Down to 7, we have Will I Ever by Alice DJ. Again, never heard of that. Number 6, Woman Trouble by The Artful Dodger. <laughs> That was released under the Artful Dodger as well, not as Craig David. I did used to listen to Radio 1 as well, and I have no recollection of a lot of these. <laughs> Number five now, When I Said Goodbye by Steps. Yeah. Number four, Sunday Morning Call by Oasis. Number three, we have Limp Biscuit with Take a Look Around. That is a tune. Remember that. Number two, The Real Slim Shady by Eminem. Yeah. And in at number one, Some Irish Beauties. You too. No, Breathless by The Cause. Good song. So... Yeah, as I said before, there's now there's some of that top ten which I wouldn't say there's any really classic songs in there other than Breathless. I think that's the one that stood the test of time. I, I think Limbiscuit stood the test. Oh, of time. Oh, actually, Real Slim Shady's really okay. I'll, I'll give you the top three, but other than that, and Oasis were obviously riding high at this particular point, and I think this this definitely um, 
this definitely came up quite a lot the comparison of how do you how do you be a UK band at that particular time because now obviously Oasis had been riding high and let's just let's just get this out of the way as well we're barely even approaching knowledgeable about you two so we are not experts about Coldplay so if you've listened to this episode for the first time thinking what the hell are these guys talking about they're getting everything wrong that, that we don't particularly care we'll Sue, try not to us. well yeah please don't but um so we don't really have much authority to speak on these things but broadly speaking oasis had been riding high with a particularly laddie um form of Britpop, which was incredibly successful and even got exported overseas um so i mean on that note it might be good actually just think about a review that enemy published about parachutes so they were talking about how um about how oasis have, have been pioneering that form of kind of laddie um drug and alcohol fueled rock and roll um and there's this turnaround in the review where they, they've been praising oasis and they've said but hang on went oasis everything we could want from a rock band once they fought had rockstar girlfriends slag people off and wanted loads of cash to blow on stupid houses fine but those were exactly the things that have made them an embarrassment an endless dull cocaine come down Remember the disappointment you felt after Be Here Now. Coldplay will never let you down like that. Like Travis before them, that's a spoiler for the, uh, for the future, like Travis before them, Coldplay care about what really counts. Parachutes is all that matters in the world to singer Chris Martin. It only takes one listen to realise how he has poured every thought, every feeling he's had in the last two years into this record. With the focus so much on Chris's voice here, it's like reading one long, intimate love letter. So, there we go. I mean, that's it's a rebuttal in a way, Coldplay's parachutes to, you know, not necessarily consciously, but to that form of of oasisy rock and roll, you know. I think because this is this came out in the first half, oh, actually just in the second half of the year two thousand, and mm-hmm. I do think that um, people sometimes struggle to tie in like the eighties era and the nineties era and the noughties era mm-hmm. with with music and sometimes I think it works better halfway through like eighty five to ninety five, ninety five to two thousand and five. Um but there always does seem to be a push once that new decade hits mm. for an alternative to what's come before or a progression of what's come before. And certainly with Coldplay, it's very hard to to say they 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 the kind of the complete opposite of Oasis. In a lot of respects, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Wait, are you saying they are or they aren't the opposite? They are the opposite of Oasis. Right, okay. And I think also bands like Radiohead, obviously very popular at this particular time, Coldplay are taking influence from them as well. Um, Although doing things that are a lot more sort of down the line rather than experimental than than Radiohead had got by this point. Yeah, going through the album as, as you listen to it, you will hear... The influences of, of Coldplay, um, you know, going back to I'd say as far back as the seventies. There's one, there's one track where I think it kind of psychedelic. But mm. you can you can notice those influences as you go through, and you get a sense of Coldplay not being a fully formed idea yet. They're still mapping things out and trying to trying to see where mm. the what their sound is. Yes, although I'm not sure they get as consistent as this in the entirety of the rest of the career, which I know we'll probably disagree about. But I, I think in terms of consistency, they this is a fantastic record, and that's why I'm happy that we're, we're beginning with it. Um, so any any more sort of facts about the album before we start talking about our impressions? This is largely just going to be our impressions. What do we think about these songs? So if you're not, if you're not in for that, then 
you know. No, I'm happy to go off. straight into uh, the track by track. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to kick us off then? What's what? our first song? Uh, don't panic. <laughs> but but what's our first song, Tyler? No, that is the first song. It's don't panic. Could you believe that wasn't a scripted uh, a scripted joke? <laughs> <laughs> There's anything scripted on this show. Well, it took us a while to get the introduction right. It did, yeah. Um, right, so in at number one, we at the length of 2 minutes 17, we've got Don't Panic. I thought this was kind of shoe, a shoegazing start. Mm-hmm. Um, very laid back. Um, I, I, liked, I did like that the guitar and the piano, particularly early on in the song, seem to zoom in. One will zoom out and then the other one zooms in. Yeah. Playing the same-ish melody. I didn't look specifically at what melodies they were both playing but it seemed very very much the same and it was quite interesting to have two instruments swapping back and forth but yeah but that same melody running through they sort of trade off each other don't they and yeah i think this as an album is beautifully produced and i think it's not really um it's not really showcased pretty much any better than on oh wait actually it is on one song but this is this is so well produced it sounds fantastic doesn't it yeah at two at two minutes 17 I'm surprised it's even that long. It feels shorter than that to me. I don't know how uh, how to feel about it because it's either just a little a little sample to get you into the album, and if that's the purpose, I don't know if it does that. Um, hmm. But if it's its own song, then it's too short. If it's an introduction, it's possibly too long, and if it's it's to be considered right. its own song, it's too short. Is what I'm trying. I see to what you say. mean. I mean, it's definitely not like a single kind of, and it's not very um it was the fourth single but the yeah album. but it's not a single in quote unquote if you, if you know what i mean i mean that's it's it's yeah too short for that kind of thing but i i really like the fact that it is sort of almost truncated it's taken off at the end because i think it never outstays its welcome i've never listened to this song and thought oh god here it is again and we're in the, we're in the third verse like yellow for example which i know i used as the intro but tedious song these days um we'll, we'll not skip we'll not we'll not skip the gun anyway the, um, go on uh, well i was going to say that the song was originally recorded for the ep the blue room which was Coldplay's second ep mm-hmm. um and then this was completely re-recorded for this album not the last time we'll say that throughout the course of this album but i was surprised at which songs were written mm. and recorded specifically for this album yeah, I think it does lock together very well. There is one song that was um, recorded by a different or produced by a different producer, which the more I think about it, actually it does sort of stand out. But I wouldn't have been able to spot it beforehand. I say it all sounds nice and consistent together. Mm. Um, speaking I think of, I know what you're going to say with that as well. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Blue Room, um, just a bit of shameless Wikipedia quote in here, um, just as a, as a bit of history, the recording sessions for that were apparently tumultuous, uh, Champion, the drummer, was actually fired briefly, uh, but Martin later pleaded with him to return after kicking him out, um, and because of his guilt, went on a drinking binge. Eventually, the band worked out their differences and put in place a new... Sorry, did you say binge or bend the... Because it sounded like you said binge. Binge. A drinking binge. (laughs) So it's it's like a a drinking bender and a drinking binge It's like what Sean Connery goes on. (laughs) A drinking binge. Dear. Um, That was a cracking impression, wasn't it? We'll listen back and be the judge. Um, Anyway, so yeah, so... They went on a big drinking spree, 
Okay, and uh, eventually the band worked out the differences and put in place a new set of rules to keep the group intact. Inspired by bands like U2 and R.E.M., Coldplay decided they would operate as a democracy. This is a very, very good decision, I would say. Um, and additionally, they determined they would kick out anyone who used hard drugs. Again, pretty much a no-brainer if you want to be a successful and, yes, possibly middle-of-the-road band, don't do lots of hard drugs. They seem like a fun bunch to be around. Well, I I think responsibility is quite cool in rock and roll actually. So and and democracy. So um, yeah. So if I was in a rock band, it would be called Responsibility and Democracy. Brackets no hard drugs. Anyway, um, right. don't panic. It's an oxymoronic song. So the verses are very very bleak, while the chorus has this um, sort of quiet hopefulness about it. Um, you know this whole like bones sinking like stones kind of idea. It's it's really bleak, and then you have that counterpose with the idea of Martin just saying something that sounds very naive, but we live in a beautiful world. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's um, a lot of this album. It wouldn't work if it doesn't work on paper, but with the backing and with the singing and with particularly with Martin's voice, it comes across very, very well. Do you agree with that overall? Um, It kind of didn't hook me in this song. And I've, li- I've obviously listened to this album many times. But mm-hmm. I think, as we have said many times before, when you sit down to actually review an album, you notice different things and it moves you in different ways. Yeah, and mysterious ways. It just didn't, it didn't grab me. I felt like I was waiting for it to start, which is when I then began to look at the length of the song. That guitar doesn't grab you. They, like, the the no. When, oh, it's amazing. It's not awful. I didn't want to turn it off, but it's not. It's what what is there that's hooky about this? What what am I supposed to remember? It, it, this might be the classic division that's always occurred with me and you in terms of um, our U2 reviews. I'm mainly listening. I don't discount everything else, but I mainly listen to what the guitar is doing. And I just really love the way that the guitar is produced on this song. And it's it's, it's just sort of shimmery and glidey and, and, and lovely. And that, that brings me in. But as, uh, with its position, number one track on the first album, mm-hmm. what... What do I need? What's going to make me invest in this song? The fact that it's a Douglas Adams quote: "Don't, don't panic." Like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's a nice way to begin an album. Like... I was thinking of Dad's Army. <laughs> well, either way, you you're entering the album, um, you know, in the spirit of British comedy. That's quite nice. Um, I, I I like it. And do you know what I've got written down here? This is possibly the best song that they've ever done. Um, I thought you didn't agree with hard drugs. <laughs> I just I, I I like that it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's beautiful. It's it. There's nothing. There's no fat on it. It's just it's great. I I would say it's anorexic. Well, I think it's the right it's the right length. This song. I think it's it's good. Um, but I think we probably ground to a halt with as much as we can say about it. To be yeah, honest, we don't agree. Yeah. There you go. So shiver. Yeah. The lead single. Yes, it was released March eighth, two thousand. Very surprising to hear that, um, because you would naturally think first single these days. What would you say? First single from this album, um, Yellow. Yeah, obviously, it's the one that's most recognisable. Um, but yeah, Shiver. Um, this is a great song. It's another good song. I, I will try and go a bit in more depth and say, you know, this is a great song. This is a good song. But it's it's good. Well, it definitely feels more, uh, more like more of an album starter in terms of its its energy, um, and that energy really switches into that uh, guitar melody. Yeah, uh, I I was I was quite struck by that. 
mm. um, for the verse. Uh, there's a sense that the band members they're not they're not really it's not that they're not gelling, but they don't want to uh, step on each other's toes. Mm. And and sometimes yes. it, 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 sometimes they can they should allow themselves to be a bit more free. Yeah. Um, but I, I think they each of them want to they don't want to be seen to you know hamming it up or overplaying yeah it's um and so it it sounds kind of awkward and they they gel quite nicely but it does sound like there's something being held back there in this song yeah hmm i I don't know i think i think i get that for the first song which i think works but for this one when that when that riff kicks in i think you know champions going for it everyone's everyone's pretty sync uh i don't know what word i was gonna say playing well together basically yeah i think on the chorus the chorus is the only place that there isn't this almost tangible timorousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the way I, I put it in my notes because I'm, well, I don't the know. The old TT. Um, I'm clearly, I think I'm Dickens when I'm writing. <laughs> the um, the the guitar is is a really weird sound um, that's in that main riff. He could have easily just used a very simple form of distortion here. Feels to me that it's on a neck pickup with a lot of the tone removed and it gives it a nice sort of, I don't know, rounded kind of edge to it, which I, which I really like. Um, Chris Martin, uh, Chris Martin rather, descri- uh, describes this as a stalking song, song, which makes sense really. It's a bit like, you know, every breath you take. Now, because of the way he sings this, I've never really got this from this song. And it's also the fact that when I first Sorry, thought it was that Chris Martin comparing his own song to Every Breath You Take? I think so, yeah, yeah. Mm. Why, do you not think... I, I, I don't really I like Every Breath okay You Take. I think it's okay for other people to do that. Yes, that's true. Um, I think he just means in its overall field. You know, it's about... It's a, it's a song that can easily be mistaken as a love song, but it's actually a stalking song, you know... Um, it's, it's quite creepy here, and apparently the track was written for a specific woman in mind, um, but Martin never actually said who it was, uh, although many people thought it was Natalie Ambruglia, or Ambruglia, I can't say her name Of Neighbours fame? Yes, um, yeah. Know what character she played? I, I'm very happy to say I have no idea. Beth Brennan. Wow. Anyway, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, there we go. I mean, I mean, um, well done for those people that got that at home, uh, right. or on the bus. You just or on the bus, wherever people listen to it. Those two <laughs> settings where people can listen to our podcast. Um, yeah, the the falsetto is very, very delicate in this song, um, and I remember. Why is that funny? <laughs> it's terrible. It's rubbish. It's you don't like it? No, it's rubbish. I think it's brilliant. Chris Martin has often relied on these falsetto parts which I just don't think he's a strong enough singer to pull off See, I th- and that is never more so evidenced than when he's live yeah I was going to say live it might be taxing which it is I think he's brilliant the falsetto on this and this I say is if people are going to say oh Coldplay are just some sort of rip off of you know pick a band Radiohead U2 whoever um, I would say this is where they do something quite unique really uh, i think no one sings in quite the same way as chris martin possibly jeff buckley who i'd also like i'd like to do grace on this show at some point but um yeah um i think that's something that he's actually contributed to you know the i'd be interested to see what a, a vocal coach said about chris martin because hmm. i don't think he's a strong singer really yeah and i think uh particularly on later albums there's a lot of things that 
uh, they throw in there to mm. to cover up his his uh, shortfalls. Wow, shots fired, Chris Martin. If you're listening, get in I, touch. I, and, and I is, think you're pretty good. I I do like Chris Martin. Uh, You've I, seen Coldplay, I haven't. <laughs> I have seen Coldplay. Yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing. But mm. um, I I I don't mind. He tries his best, but I. <laughs> But no, no one's ever going to say that Chris Martin is a, is a great singer. I don't think he's a fantastic songwriter, mm. um, and he, he's cracking on the piano. I mean, pure, purely on his on his pipes, you think? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I don't. I think, think that's the weakest part of Coldplay. Oh, his, I his, think, his voice. I think Guy Berryman is very much the weakest part of Coldplay. Absolutely phoning it in, apart from on this, well, this ab- album. Actually, last night I, I watched a little bit of them live in Sao Paulo. And what was Guy Berryman doing? Uh, Leaping well, around, Chris Martin abandoned. called him uh, the handsome, the most handsome bassist in the world. Well, that's not true. We all know who is. Uh, yeah, and uh, said the most talented member of the band. He's keeping that talent under a bushel, then, because he's, <laughs> he's not bothering to show it, is he? Apart from on this album, where he's quite good. Um, so uh, there we go. Let, let's get back to the song. I think the song hinges on and probably relies on the chorus. I, th- I think, other than that... Isn't that true of pretty much every song, though? No, because you can have um, enjoyable songs that are complete songs, and there are examples on this album, but mm. I think the the only good part of this this song, the only thing that feels complete, is the chorus. Oh, I, I, I love it, but again, if you listen to the verses, it's that interplay between the guitar coming in with those, and those those riffs are fantastic. But I'm not reviewing this as like, you know, is that technically good? You know, oh, oh I love what the guitarist is doing there, I love yeah. what the bass is doing. I'm reviewing this as like, this is the debut album. Yes. This is something that you hopefully want people to buy and enjoy. And they did in their droves. It was very uh, successful. This is the first single. Hmm. It's yeah, a bad it's... it's a bad choice for first single, I agree with that. Also, music video, very, very boring. It's just boys in a room play guitar and drums and stuff. That's yeah, it. they they should have walked along a beach, shouldn't they? Well at least that was iconic though. I, I, I remember that sticking out. How many music videos do you remember from two thousand? I agree. I agree, but He looked like an idiot. But he had a nice cagoule. I'm I'm thinking that maybe uh, music video craft wasn't what it became. No. At that point. No, maybe not. Um, okay, so... Spies. Um, the third track. So, um, I think this album, overall, might be one of the reasons why I really like long lead-ins and atmospheric things. Now, obviously, Where the Streets Have No Name is the classic example of that sort of ambient sound building up. Um, but you have that on this, and a couple of other tracks, we have a really nice ambient build-up and just atmospherics going on. You know, Brian Eno, eat your heart out, you know, for this particular song. Um, yeah, so so this is um, Spies. It does have a very James Bondy kind of vibe. I get that from the guitar that's sort of shimmering over the over the, over the the verses. Um, and I've written here from my notes from my listen the other day, this album and this song in particular taught me about fragility being very, very beautiful in songwriting and singing. So I think... That's where maybe we differ in terms of Chris Martin because I, I really really like this way of singing that sa- sounds a little bit thin but it's very high pitched like when he's singing uh, you know they're just spies yeah um, I just want to mention Will Champion who is the drummer uh, because I think on every song on this album I did feel like he was re- really earning his twenty five percent or his twenty percent 
because they've got a friend that they keep around for creative purposes. Weird. Um, the fifth Coldplay. But, yeah, but he's not. He, he's not a musician. He's he was like the first manager, and he paid for the first EP to be made. Mm. Um, Probably uh, annoying a lot of Coldplay fans at the moment who've tuned in for this because we don't know who that is. It, it would be a short Google search away, if I'm honest. I can't be bothered. No. Do you know what I was thinking? Why aren't they called the Cold Players? <laughs> uh, no, Cold Players better. Go on. Yeah, but um, Will Champion, I thought, re- was really, really earning his money and was on point all the way through. The only thing I didn't like, I don't like how the drums are recorded on this song. Oh, on this album, sorry. Really? Yeah. They seem a bit tinny. They're not as insistent as they are on something like Clocks, you know, and they would become a huge punchy sound in things like Viva La Vida, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's not bad enough to make me think that... Drums on that record are actually fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. <laughs> uh, it's not as if I think that he's an awful drummer because I think he's 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 one of the best rock drummers. Mm, I think you've said that so many times it's lost its meaning. What, who? About Larry? Is that... I don't what know. What other drummers have we talked about? Okay, Nick O'Brien. Nick O'Brien, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. He's fine. Look, he's very he's very hard working. I like the fact that he sings and plays. Yeah. Um I like the fact that he hits that massive church bell thing in um Yeah, I love that as that, well. <laughs> but it's not it's he's not very intricate, is he really? No, I I think he's I think he's a, a good drummer and the recording let him down on this album. Fair enough. Um, but I wanted to say that because we're getting into this album, and I'm, we never really talk about uh, about drummers on this on not as much. No, because I mean I can play drums, but I wouldn't describe myself as a drummer. No, and would I? <laughs> so anyway, spies. Um, what do we actually think about the lyrics? What do we think about the meaning of this song? Because this whole album's pretty cryptic, I would argue overall. And I mean, it has references to spies coming out of the water. I said it sounds a bit James Bondy, but it's not. You know about a spy on a mission it's about some sort of enemies of people isn't it is it about liars is it about people who ruin your life via deception it's very suggestive but i don't really know what the song is about yeah i i i didn't focus on the lyrics particularly in this song although it's a song i've heard many times mm. um and it, it's something i've never really thought about and i'm norm, normally more lyrical based um, the spies came out of the water, but you're feeling so bad because you know that spies hide out in every corner. You can't touch them, no, because they're all spies. They're all spies. I, I, I coming from a small village mm. uh, where at times it felt like everybody knew everybody, and you couldn't sneeze without. Um, <laughs> Without, you know, your third cousin finding out, it was um, it, that's that's what I think about that. You know, like mm. you can't go out and you can't get drunk and you can't, you know, things will go back to people. Yeah, and and it always gets distorted and it, it can leave you feeling somewhat trapped. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I think about when you read those lyrics. But I don't know where Chris Martin grew up. <laughs> um, imagine if you quite, live next door. Nice. I think I'd know. I think, yeah, I don't think we're going to get too far with this. I don't think we're going to get anything conclusive. And it doesn't have to be conclusive because the song is, it's very evocative of a particular mood, but it's very difficult to say what it's about on any sort of level, really, apart from, yeah, deception and and 
feeling like you're lost, really. Not knowing which way to turn, no. that kind of thing. Um, but isn't that just characteristic of a young band who are just trying to feel the way around lyrics? You know, they don't... It's better if they're not specific, really. Yeah, I, I've written lyrics before now, and I would hate to think that somebody would sit down and try and analyse them, because it's just... Yes. Normally, it's whatever rhymes, so... Yes, that can that can definitely be part of it. Um, I don't think Martin are actually, you know, and, and Co are actually that ha- happy about it. Um, another another quote here. Um, he basically said that um, we know it's terrible music, and we always try and think about what we can do next. So it looks like he was trying to get beyond parachutes, really, and wasn't really that that fussed about it. Really, yeah, I think the I think the first normally with the first album, bands have years worth of songwriting. And it, it, they can only put a, a strong first album out there. I don't think that was the case with Coldplay, and it, it's kind of like we need to we need to get past this point, and then we can do what we want. Mm. So it was kind of a hurdle for them that that first album. But I don't know if this was still the the, the days where you know they would sign a, a three record deal. I would be surprised if people still signed those kinds of deals. And they were signed to Parlophone, I know that, um, but beyond that, I don't really know very much. Which they still release some stuff with. Uh, there was a record that came out a few years ago. Um, well, with Ghost Stories? Um, yeah, yes, that I think that's Parlophone as well. Um, but the, one of the singles from that, uh, Giorgio Moroder did a remix of, and that's the reason I bought it. I bought the Giorgio Moroder remix of, I think it was Magic. Just going to check about that. Um Let's have a look. Ghost Stories, uh, released. Oh, released by Palophone, yeah, and then by Atlantic Records in North America. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so Spies, um, done. Um, well, I've I've not said anything on Spies yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been you. Yeah, I've said what I wanted to. I want to, I want to move uh, on now. Just listen to what I have to say. Um, but by track three, I think we understand that Coldplay can do this quiet melodic thing, and we need to hear another dimension. Um, Rap. No, we just need to hear something something else that we haven't heard yet. But it becomes very clear that, um, you know, it's not going to happen in this track, is it? <laughs> it's they can't. They seem to be set in a rut. Not not for the last time on this album. It's like they can't break out of this this slow melodic I think thing. I think they're carving a path rather than getting stuck in a rut. I mean, it's literally the first album. I know, and and I think I just. Want a bit more of more excitement on the first album? Spies. Uh, may, maybe they're just not that band. <laughs> um, the last verse is a, a bit of a stretch for Martin vocally. Um, uh, the melodies on the guitar are nice, and the the nice they're not essential. I don't. They really, really are. Really, um, I have put here that maybe I'm being harsh, uh, but I feel like I'm trying to review this with a view of. You know the contemporaries at the time, like Radiohead and Travis and Oasis, Blur. Mm. I feel like those you can be an alternative to you know those more boisterous bands, yeah, but still create more interesting music. I mean, looking ahead a little bit, do you think that they they do that on a rush of blood to the head? Um, because they do get a bit more jumpy and energetic there. Yes, it's like they. Uh... <laughs> It's like they've earned a bit of money and they they they've chilled out a bit now. Mm. I mean, they were very young. Chris I think Martin they, cut his hair and started to dress a lot better after that. I think Chris Martin uh, was twenty one when this came out, and I'm they're, and they're all speculate. they're all around the same age. Yeah, 
um, like one or two years between them. So, you know, they're just out of university, not got a lot of money, trying to put anything into this band. It can't have been a very happy time, particularly when they banned drugs. They had... Uh, <laughs> stop advocating drugs. <laughs> not advocating drugs, I'm just saying, you know, if, if nothing else in your life is going well... That is awful, awful, awful advice, and I disclaim that completely. Um, Yeah, um, I think there was a lot of difficulty around this album. I didn't want to go too much into the band's profile, because no one wants to hear someone who doesn't know very much about a band talk about them, particularly if you do know a lot about them. But from what I could tell, the production and the recording process was not easy for this album. Three different studios. Yeah, which if you're you too, that's hardly any. That's just for one song, isn't it? But mm. um, for a young band starting out, you might want a bit more consistency. And apparently, they were um, the the producer um, Chris Allison basically was telling them that they had they were too tense. They were they needed to basically calm down a little bit and play the songs in a in a different way. Um, so, yeah. I still think you can't hear any of that though on this album, and I think it's it's it's, it's a fantastic sound. And I, I I absolutely wore this album out when I first got it. Um, although apparently I didn't bother trying to interpret any of the lyrics. Um, so yeah, should we move on to Sparks? Yes, a trilogy of S's so far. Yeah. Shiver spies Sparks. Quite a lot of sibilance on this album, parachutes. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the bassline that uh, immediately comes in. Uh, and I think that's the mm. main hook throughout. It's very kind of Peaksian, very David Lynch. Yeah, I don't know if Peaksian is a, is Peaksian a word? Uh, I do know a well-known Peaks scholar, and he uses it. Oh, fair enough then. Um, I know Lynchian is. Um, yeah, um, an actual bassline from um, from Berryman actually earning his his keep on this on this song. It's a great bassline. Yeah, the most handsome bass player in the world. <laughs> mm. um, uh, hard to say what this song is, and maybe. I'll do that again. It's hard to say exactly what this song is, but maybe that's a good thing because it does break it up a little bit. Uh, it's got this jazzy, discordant feel to it, which I, I really, I really find myself enjoying. Yeah, I, I think this is an album of kind of of two types of songs. You have the ones that are um, very busy, uh, delayed, shimmering, reverb-laden guitar, and these ones where it feels like Martin could just be alone in the side of a very smoky bar, glass of whiskey beside him, um, <laughs> just playing, just playing, you know, or Ribena. And um, <laughs> just and he could play it on, its, on his own, you know. Um, you get a really chilled, intimate sound from this song, and I think it's, it's brilliant for the simplicity of it. The fact you have a chorus which is literally, I say, and then the word, oh, but because of his voice, it really transcends... His voice sounds great on this song. Yes, I've even I've even mentioned that. I, 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 this is when I was planning to talk about Martin's voice. Um, uh, never considered him to be one of the best singers in the world, but carries himself very well in this song. His voice holds up really well, mm. um, and um, so that that surprised me. Um, probably my favorite track on the album so far. Just uh, just going yeah. through it, it actually offered me something that I felt like I hadn't heard before. Of this sort of song, and there are a few different examples of it on the album, uh, this is my favourite, and I, I think it just sounds beautiful. And again, we get that we we do. I think every member does contribute a lot to this. The kind of um, I don't know how to describe it. Sort of yearning guitar sound that's in this here that twins with the vocals. And again, just looking at it on paper, quite a lot of cliches, really. You know, did I drive you away? I know what you'll say. Um, 
but I promise you this, I'll always look out for you. Um, my heart is yours. It's yours to hold on to. You know, if you just read, if someone said, look, I've written a love song, what do you think? On paper, you'd be like, this isn't very good. It's not very inspiring. I love you. Dooby-doo. Do you love me? Yeah. Um, I know I was wrong, but I won't let you down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> so I, I, anyone can just, it's a very old comedy bit just to read lyrics out of context. So I don't want to like, be like taking pot shots here. But the sound, the production, the band, they really, really make this. Oh, yellow. Yeah, yellow. Let's talk about yellow. <laughs> what was that? What was that about? It was oh yellow. Is that a reference to something? No. <laughs> well, I'm glad I, you're I, having I, fun I, amusing I, I yourself. Because when I was a kid, um, I, I thought the lyric was oh yellow, and not not it, and it was all yellow. So <laughs> so now when I think about it, I just think oh, again, it's it's a joke purely for my for me. I don't know if I've ever externalize this before now I'm um, sure you didn't and need I'm to. realizing how mental this sounds but I whenever I think of yellow by Coldplay mm. in my head I go oh <laughs> right well oh yellow right, well while you have a little meltdown over there um I'm gonna quote some context here so um so the the band uh, they took a break to compose uh tracks for parachutes and this is just this basically just sets up something quite interesting, I think. Um, a few months later, it was arranged that Allison, that's Chris Allison, and the band meet at a rehearsal room to finally begin production on the band's debut album. They started up playing in the rehearsal room and they weren't very together at all, says Allison, and I was very honest with them. I just sort of said, look, this simply isn't good enough. Uh, Allison adds, the interesting, most significant thing that did occur out of the fact that we didn't end up starting the album on that day of the rehearsal was that Chris Martin had not written Yellow by that time. So when they were actually rehearsing to get this debut album done, they didn't have Yellow. And my question would be, if they didn't have Yellow, would we have Coldplay now? I think they'd be in trouble. Uh, Yeah, I think they'd be playing pubs. Because this was such a huge hit for them, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, it was as you said earlier that that video was iconic. Yeah, uh, and I remember that as as kind of a pinpoint or a turning point in my musical education. Uh, it's 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 kind of a video or a song that you couldn't click past in those days where you'd flick between the the box and smash hits and VH1 and mm. Kerrang and you'd just keep going and until you found a song you like and you normally you ended up listening to half a song each time. Yeah, but. I think it was one of those songs that you just couldn't click past, and and it and it did uh, keep your attention. I, I I like the idea of. Um, see, I don't like the idea. If someone told me that the the idea for a video was, well, Chris Martin's going to walk along a beach mm. in a cagoule, and yeah, in a not a stylish one either, being being oh, rained on with very very pink lips. Well, it's chilly. I just I was I was always really struck by his lips. <laughs> Look at you. Um, I'm just trying to find out um, where it actually got to in the charts, and it eventually reached number four. Um, so yeah, so it, not number one material, yeah. but it's so it is so iconic. And when you have seen performances of this, it is you know like live DVDs, things like that. It's the one that obviously everyone knows and rallies behind. Um, I would say it did its job because this is the second single. 
This comes out on the, the first. on the 26th of June 2000, mm-hmm. when the album is released on July 10th 2000. Yeah. The album debuts at number one. Yeah, yeah. Very successful So album. I would say that whether this song went to number one or not, um, it, it clearly did its job and it really got Coldplay's name out there mm. and really made people buy that album. Yeah. Um, so the title of the song apparently was to do with uh, the, the way the band felt about it during the... Um, about that particular song during its composition, which they described as a time filled with brightness and hope and devotion. Um, so it's another... It is quite imagistic I, I guess or or um quite evocative a lot of the a lot of the, the lyrics and the titles on this on this particular album rather than being really super specific and detailed um i tried to listen to this song as if it was the first time and failed at uh, this song and it's not the song's fault has been ruined by overplaying you know it's just it's too much i think i would prefer to listen to it you know live as in actually being the live but it's not a song that i will reach for well, did you did my... you hear it live when they when they? Uh... Yeah, of course. Well, they, you know, sometimes people don't play don't play the big hits. I mean, um, I don't think I got in my place, which has always been a, a favorite. Absolute mine. dud that song. <laughs> Terrible song. I like, hate it. Well, you've put me in my place, haven't you? <laughs> um, uh, going forward, I think with Yellow, you've got some really simple, easy but effective lyrics, such as. Um, Look at the stars, look how they shine for you, and everything that you do. They were all yellow. Yeah, like, but it's easy. People can learn that. A child can learn that mm. with very few listens. And it it, it, it works. It, it works. It does. Oh, it there's, definitely there's, works. There's a nice hook with, with um, the melody of both of vocals and of the instrumentation. <laughs> I came along, I wrote a song for you, and all the things you do, and it was called Yellow. Yeah. Might not actually be this song. If you think about it. But this song is also called Yellow. Might have written too. Yeah. Um well Um I'm gonna need more evidence to that theory, Johnny. No, fair enough. Um But I, I guess to just to kind of to give the song a little bit more credit, the things that I liked about Don't Panic were the fact that it had it had bleakness and beauty and kind of happiness side by side. The chorus to this is your skin, yeah, your skin and bones turn into something beautiful. So there, there are moments in this song which is quite, which are quite, um, well, a little bit bleak. For a song that is called Yellow and is all about optimism and stuff. Yeah, it sounds happy though. You yes, can it does. sing whatever you want, but if it sounds happy, people are going to sing it. If I was Johnny Buckland, I would be, uh, when this came up in the set list, I would just be thinking... <sighs> Can't be bothered. I was trying to learn this on guitar yesterday, and I couldn't get the the rhythm at all. <laughs> um, it's maybe because I'm not a very good guitar player, but well, possibly. <laughs> what a horrible person. Um, are we are we done with yellow? Um, I mean, I certainly am. Really easy building to the chorus, the riff. Um, Apparently not. The riff and the heavy refrain. Uh, it's a joyful song, and it's a job well done considering it's it's on and was written for the debut album. Yeah, and as we said, it wasn't. This is this is the kind of song you need to get people's attention, and it clearly did. Yes, and I I would I would agree with you that if you take Yellow off this album, if this song isn't there, mm. then the album doesn't go to number one, and I would say that Coldplay aren't together anymore. Yeah, um, so it did it. It did its job. I I 
I did used to love this song. I absolutely adored this song. I, the whole album I really, really liked. Um, and I still do like a lot of it. It's just being overplayed. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because the song's very verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But then Beautiful Day, I never get sick of. Like, ever. Apart from when we hear it live. Yeah, no, that's, that's different. Live is different to on the radio. If I'm in a shop and I'm walking around and Don't Panic comes on, brilliant. Right? If I walk around in a shop and Yellow comes on, it's just like, oh, God, I've got to walk through this for the next five minutes. Just go to a different shop. Why should I have to move? They should turn it off. Oh, God. Um, right, let's move on to the next single. Oh, here comes Trouble. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's called Trouble. It was released on the 26th of October, 2000. Hmm. I used to find this song profoundly sad. And just for a bit of context, first album I bought with my own money, because I believe that I stole and ripped this off Vinny, because I'm sure he bought it. I don't think I bought it. Um, first album that I ever bought was All You Can't Leave Behind. And so this is very early on in my musical education. And I just thought, Wow, this is what sadness is. You know, this is a you know this is a song that is completely and wholeheartedly sad. Um, and I I actually took it to my guitar teacher. I was that affected by it. He was called Steve, his regular guitar teacher, and he must have been very bemused because I said, "Could you transpose this? Could you actually or transcribe it, whatever it would be, um, from piano to guitar?" So he just sat the tabulating this you know like no 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 into a guitar thing and it didn't sound good i couldn't play it particularly well <laughs> but i enjoyed it you know um i like to think of this as the start of side b as we're halfway through the album and yes. i did take a wee little break uh when not a little wee break a wee little break i was thinking are you just gonna skate past that <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't let it lie. No, uh, I, uh, I had a little break after Yellow, uh, and then sat back down to to do Trouble. Um, I think we wel- welcomed in a new sound on side B, uh, a more piano bass sound. Yeah, this is Martin with his piano. Yeah, it's it's more Obviously. atmospheric, uh, but for the most part minimalistic, mm. which is is nice. I th- this is another song that I think you could probably have Eno's influence on it, you know, just in the production style, very very sparse, but the things that are going on really count and add to that. I think on more than one track in on, on side one, there was like too many competing elements and sometimes something needed taken out just mm. to uh, make a song more effective and give more focus to the, the, the more key parts, maybe a, a riff. Yeah, that piano mo- motif is front and centre, isn't it, really, in, yeah. in this? But Unfortunately, what has ruined this song for me, and I'm Uh-oh. sure if you live in the UK, you will share my 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 what, what to call it my despair uh, is comic relief uh, have ruined this song because all I can think about now is um, starving children in Africa, and mm-hmm. I'd say that's a decent trade-off. Is it? What your sense of what a song means, or money for people it's who are starving? It's all I can think about. Where it's distracted, so I can't see this as a song. It's like it's coupled in with comic relief now, like it's part of it. It's like it's like Coldplay don't own this song anymore, mm. and I'm sure it's been used on like Water Aid videos and things. I think even Ricky Gervais in extras used used this. Yeah, 
So it's it's basically been taken away from its original context too much, basically, and yeah. mi- mixed in with different impressions. And okay, on behalf but, of the band, I'm really upset. Well, I'm sure they were they were well, maybe they weren't for currently. Really. We we're going to say they might oh, be remunerated Curtis quite well. He's tight. Hmm? He's tight, isn't he? Who? It's all, it's all about the charity. <laughs> um, my dad used to take the mick out of this song a lot because I would play it in the car, and the bit where he says uh, they span a web for me. Um, my dad would basically just repeat that re- as high pitched as he could do, sort of talking about what you were talking about before in terms of the the falsetto being very noticeable, and I just couldn't hack that. I was like, no, this is a sad song, and he's putting his heart out there. It really irritated me. He'll still he will still do it now. Next time you see George, I bet you will do it if I if I put this song on. Oh uh, well, I, I hope it's twenty years. I hope I hope he will. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, I I think I at one time I did like this song, but but it has been stolen from Coldplay in my view. Well, <laughs> and maybe they're happy with that. I think they probably are overall. Yeah. Um. So what about what what is this song about then? Let's try and let's try and actually figure out what this song's about then. So um, it just seems it seems basically to be all about guilt really and attempting to say sorry. Um. We have that sort of central idea of the spider web being tangled up in inside Martin's head. Um, it, it it is, I guess, when you look at it again, very very simple songwriting. But the 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 images are effective; they work really well. They earn their place here. Um, yeah, it kind of rings true with a with um, a certain feeling of hopelessness. I think it's, it's yeah. interesting that he says he's caught in a web, uh, in, kind of caged in or you know imprisoned, but he's also in his own little bubble. Yes. It's kind of two motifs working against each other there. Or a mixed metaphor if you want to be critical. Um yeah. Is motif not the right word? No, 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 it's fine. But I mean critical of Martin, I mean, as in like he shouldn't mix his metaphors. Like you're either trapped in a spider's web or you're stuck in a bubble. You're not in a bubble with a spider. That's mm-hmm. a mixed metaphor, basically. It, it doesn't matter, um, but yeah, I think I, I like it all, and I, I like the I like the way he sings. Um, Here am I in in my little bubble, um, because it almost sounds like he's sort of drifting off. The way that he phrases that particular um, that particular lyric, it does sound like he's sort of drifting off. Really, I do have to wonder how much we're supposed to really question these lyrics. Um, they're very, I think they're very, if not adolescent, like young persons trying to find their place, trying to negotiate around the relationships at the start of their life really but they're all very easy to hear easy to sing along to and mm. you know we've talked about this before now you know with wedding songs and the songs people choose for weddings and <laughs> choose this and and you know how because a song sounds like it's a ballad yeah and sounds like it's a love song they'll they'll use that but if you actually sit down and question what the lyrics are about mm. It's like using anything from Fleetwood Mac's rumours. It's written by four people all having affairs of each other, mm. um, and it's 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 kind of it's kind of strange. And I, I don't think I don't think most people really focus in on what the lyrics of a song are. They they are just there to sing along and help you take part and enjoy it. Well, yeah, but but I think it's our duty to probe into the lyrics to some extent. I don't think at this point in Coldplay's career that that was a huge concern. There's a, well, there is. Let's. I. I think there'll be any Coldplay fans that, that are listening. A. Sorry, and B. I think there are some themes that are going through this album. Like you know, he says they they spun a web for me. We've now gone away from like 
the idea of it just being about two people to there's this nefarious they which takes us back to that idea from spies you know the spies come out of the water it sounds like martin probably is going through difficult relationship times at this particular point i'm speculating and there is this concern with outside influences and like if only these people weren't around maybe this would go a bit better but i don't know that that maybe maybe that's that comes from the album maybe it doesn't um but i, I I think for what it is, which is an outpouring of sort of young, youngish kind of twenty odd year old sentiment, it's a it's a great song and beautifully sung. Yeah, I think I think songs like Trouble and Yellow, uh, maybe one or two others, really show the promise that there's something worth investing in this band. Mm. They're not quite there yet, but they're going to develop over time. Yes, and they do develop into incredibly expansive songwriters. I'm just thinking of the last album though and how terrible a lot of that was. Literally the worst album I have ever bought. The only album I've ever bought and considered sending back <laughs> because it was that bad. To Chris Martin. Your album's yeah, broke. Yeah, and right? it actually made me think, is that a thing you can do? If you buy an album and you just really don't enjoy it, can you take it back? Well, I think it's Or very... is that just the risk you take? I think it's a very British thing that technically in a restaurant, if you order something and it's just not very good. As in, there's nothing, te- you know, it's not like undercooked or anything, or there's not like a big bone sticking out the middle of it, or, or or a hair in it. You can still send it back and say, this is, I don't want this, because this isn't good. Now, you wouldn't do that, because it's not a very British thing to do, but possibly you could do it with an album. Send, send it back to Chris Martin, see if he, see if he gives you a response. Well, the, the, the saving grace of the latest album, uh, A Head Full of Dreams, uh, yeah. is the fact that it's very pretty. Uh, as, as an object, uh, as something, object. To, yeah, as something to look at. It's yeah. it's very very colourful, very pretty, uh, the, the kind of album that you would that someone would put on the wall. I don't because I'm not a hipster, but um, <laughs> I, I I can see that that is a very pretty looking package to have. Mm-hmm. What about the the record? Um, uh, so yeah, it, I didn't send it back. One of the one of the records is pink. One of the records is blue. Uh, I would always, as I've said before, always for a black record. Gimmickry, smoke and mirrors, pointless. Yeah, but it does look pretty. It does look pretty. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll probably never listen to it again. I'd rather have the Kodak picture of the globe from WH Smith's. It's I prefer definitely, that. definitely better than that. Well, they will have to disagree. Um, anyway, so, parachutes. Parachutes. In uh, 46 seconds long, I really didn't feel like it deserved any of my time, so... I, I listened to it, didn't think much, and I moved on. Hmm. Well, um, can I shock you? I really like this song. What, did you overanalyze it? <laughs> it's uh, it's unlike you, isn't it? What else are we here to do? I mean, I mean that in a literal sense, and in, in a wider meta- metaphorical sense. I find sense. myself asking that question <laughs> Whenever you come around. <laughs> well, well, as it's so, so short, let's, um, let's read the entirety of the lyrics. In a haze, a stormy haze... I'll be round. I'll be loving you always, always. Here I am, and I'll take my time. Here I am, and I'll wait in line always, always. Um, now, I was listening to this. What I think I'm going to do, Johnny, mm-hmm. uh, is I am actually going to give you 46 seconds to <laughs> review this song. Um, mm. So well, Tell me when, fine, tell me when I have to start. Uh, so uh, I'm going to press go. Okay, so it's a very understated song, clearly. Um, but when I listened to this, when I put it on, I 
involuntarily started singing along with it when it started saying always. I think for a song that's that short to have that much resonance and to stick in my mind and skin for what 18 years or whatever that's that's it's incredible it's amazing it's very david grayish and i would be upset if this wasn't on the album and it earns its title track what am i on oh you've got 16 uh i think parachutes are a good object to have if you're flying although i would never go skydiving because i think it's inherently stupid is that it Eh. there we go <laughs> well, there, there you go. Yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Your uh, phone has that nice buzzer when it counts down. That's it. It's not a nice buzzer. It's kind of like it's a, effective. A klaxon kind of sound. Not mm. the terrible band from the north. I'm not doing them on the <laughs> on the next episode of uh, Tummel, as I'm going to refer to it in short. Um, okay, high speed. Uh, this one was originally also recorded for the uh, Blue Room EP mm. um, and then re-recorded for this album. Yes. Uh, Chris Allison, who you've uh, referred to before now and was one of the producers on this album, uh, said, you'll notice it's quite a bit different to the other tracks because there are other sounds going on. Uh, we wanted to mix a soundscape in with the classic rock sound on that particular track I thought High Speed was really a really good marriage between classic rock and the new sound that was developing out of it. Something that was a bit more atmospheric. Yeah. That's, I got the same quote. Um, yeah, I, this is, for my money, uh, the best produced song. And yeah. it, was, it was the only one produced by Chris Allison himself. Um, so I can't believe that I've gone through... Because I have listened to Coldplay a lot. Uh, probably not this this album as much as others, but when I, I'm surprised that this song hasn't struck me a little bit more before now. It's oh, really? it's very different. Favorite for me. It's very different to every, anything else on the album. I love the psychedelic guitar riffs. Uh, it's slightly reminiscent, and I'm very scared of upsetting a few people here. But it's slightly reminiscent of the Stone Roses, or or maybe more specifically Ian Brown's solo output. Um, any particular song or just a vibe um i couldn't i i just it was something i noticed as i was listening to it but i didn't yeah chase up that see i i i feel this sounds quite radioheadish to be honest i think the guitar the guitar changes are very very radioheady and not in a bad way i i love i love radiohead and i think there's almost a little bit of kind of beatlesy influence on the um you know the bass line that dum 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 like it almost sounds like come together. I think that 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 bass riff again. Berryman is great on this album when he actually does something. I know there's a there's a there's a virtue in not being noticed, but he I think he really works very well on this one and adds a lot of texture and mood to it. Whereas and keeps it grounded. Whereas Johnny Buckland has got so much far flung guitar work going on here. Um, Definitely, I think that the band are working well together. Hmm. Uh, certainly not as bashful or as clunky as earlier on in the album Um, yeah they sound quite relaxed on this song actually my main problem with this this song is that the the energy's dropped out again but it's a different kind of energy Uh, wait no it it hasn't because the chorus when he's saying we're saying confidence in you confidence in me that's it's loads of there's loads of forward momentum there it's only the verses that get a little bit slinky and kind of like. Maybe I'm just ill because it just it just <laughs> this album for me seemed like a bit of a chore, but I was very, I, I was very aware of listening to it, possibly for the first time. 
Yeah. Uh, and when you are listening so intently, you kind of you, you see all the things that you've you've been able to look past before. Um, I I, I have zero criticism of this song. Um, I just think it's fantastic. Um, I also like the fact that in this one. I actually came out of it with, oh, I, I get something from this song now. So in the other ones, as we mentioned, um, it's very evocative and it's, there's not a particular feeling that you get for it or a, or a message, which is fine because songs don't need to do that. But for this one, I get this idea of when he's saying confidence in you is confidence in me, um, is confidence in a high speed. It's that idea of being in a relationship with someone, a bit like you know when you're on, driving on the motorway with someone and someone's going really, really fast. And you just sort of, weirdly, you should be worried, but you're going so fast and you just put all your confidence in, the, in them and you're like, okay, they can drive really, really fast and I'm just going to enjoy this, even though if they did a slight swerve of the wheel, we would be definitely killed, you know. Um, and I think it's a bit like that. He's talking about a relationship in that sort of way where he's confident in the, the speed or the level of passion or love that's involved there. Um and I really like that, and I think that that works really well on those uplifting choruses, um, which is sort of different vibe to the verses where he's talking about living life inside a bubble, which obviously he didn't plan. But these days, I just relate that to tablets, social media, living on, through your iPhone, no one speaking to each other, people watching films on their iPhone. Yeah, definitely not what he intended at the time. You, no, you still obviously. had dial-up at that point. Yes, it, yeah, indeed. If you were lucky. Uh, yeah. He remembers dial-up. Ding, 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 uh, we'll we'll uh, reveal the best one next week. Though I am I am interested to know um, I'm interested to know whose dial-up thing you thought was better. I put money on it that mine was better. <laughs> battle of the battle of the uh, dial-ups. Battle anyway. of the bastards. Yeah. Well. Oh yeah. Game of Thrones. Mm. Right. Um, I thought you just being mean about us. Um, so, well, Tyler, we never change, do we? <laughs> Uh, in at number nine... You're meant to sort of roll with that, not just ignore it. <sighs> I usually ignore you. Uh, in at number nine, we never change. Four minutes, nine seconds. Mm-hmm. And did you enjoy that time? Um, maybe it was too much to hope for, but at this point, um, I, I really, really wanted to... I, th- I thought with with high speed being as interesting and psychedelic as I was, I thought as it was, I I thought that we were finally going to get something, you know, new, a new sound that we hadn't heard on this album, mm. uh, and I found myself very disappointing. Uh, this this song, this album, actually at this point seems to be going nowhere or <laughs> meandering along like a canoe in an ocean. Right. It's it was I, I I was not enjoying the album at this point. I think yeah, this is yeah. It's an interesting one to choose for our first episode of uh <laughs> than you might like. Uh people might not like us after this. Um I, I like this song. Um I think as I've said with other songs, these could be seen as incredibly bland lyrics. Um uh so I wanna fly and never come down, I and live my life and have friends around. 
but I think the thing that again saves it from just being simple boring lyrics is the 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 feeling that's put into it and the few images that are used when he talks about living in a wooden house which I didn't pick up on the very first time I heard that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have I've just glazed over it in the lyrics but he's talking about that sort of childlike idea of the simple things are you want a tree house and your friends and if you've got that that's all you need so you don't need a new rocking sound or anything you can just keep doing what you're doing have these lovely silvery kind of notes which are used with lots of economy and it's, it's just a, a, an idea of like safety and childhood wonder and and consistency which is you know i think why he's saying we never change it's a nice feeling with your friends but so i like i like this for this song um like you know like the meaning of this song um but yeah if you look at it though it looks almost a bit like a ramon song because almost every other line starts with i wanna we never learned to wait. No, no. We never learned to wait. <laughs> so I live in a wooden house. It makes my friends look pretty easy. Really? <laughs> I think you're exaggerating Jerry Moan's later, later uh, vocal stylings. Um, and people who want to, um, Ramones for um, for an album review in future, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to advocate, although it will mean Tyler will probably take the mic and do stupid impressions like that all the way through it. But, that, you know, that's fine. Would you would you be happy to do a Ramones album? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah brilliant, good. Um, oh, oh, I guess now is as good a time as any. Send us your suggestions for what you want us to do. Um, we've we've always... been getting some interesting suggestions so far. Yeah, fantastic um... suggestions. I I I wish we had time to do them all, to be honest. Um, but I don't know when this is going to come out. We're trying to just get in some time um, because we're both pretty busy. Um, but you know, I think send what we'll probably do is. Uh, yeah, a few in the can, and then yeah, and then hit everyone with them. Yeah, and uh, because it's a little tricky for me and Johnny to both get time where we can do this, so we'll probably do bulk uh, recording sessions, yeah, and, but then, keep and then keep sending us ideas because because you know never say never to any particular album, um, even ones that are, I, I think it'll be interesting as we go on to do ones that are slightly more. I'm, I'm really interested. Obscure. I'm really interested to do ones that I've never heard of. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, and th- ones that I've never listened to. Well, I think that w- that would be good, and also um, doing ones where we we've classically disagreed on things beforehand, you know. So I think there are ones that are obvious that we both love, like Arcade Fire, Craftwork, that kind of thing. But there will be ones that will make us butt heads a little bit. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's carry on with parachutes. Um, I mean, you don't have anything to say for We Never Change apart from you being a bit disappointed about it? No. no. Uh, so now we've got track 10 slash track 11 because there is a hidden track. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you want to do this. Just We'll get to it when we get to it. Um, okay, very very right. early on in the career to be doing a hidden track though, isn't, isn't it? I thought that. Yeah. yeah. A bit uh, presumptuous from Coldplay. Get 10 flavor. good songs, put them on an album and save all the fancy stuff for later. Mm. Although Kings of Leon also did that with uh, Youth and Young Manhood. That's 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 an album we could do. Don't make that face. <laughs> uh, so this is possibly my favourite Coldplay song when seeing them live. Right, yeah. I uh, imagine this would be fantastic live. It really has an epic um, feel to it. Mm. It's like it's, it's a unifying song throughout the crowd because they they can they all know the lyrics. Not mm. it's not the most uh, the most Joycean. Uh, of lyrics, no, it's it's very easy, uh, very singable. Yeah, it's very like moralistic, isn't it? And like, you know, when I counted up my demons, it's it is a finishing off song, isn't it? Really, 
Yeah, and it's it's Sorry, joyful no. despite Martin's tone. He's not singing in the in the most joyful way in parts of this song. By the end, he is, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And it's about his demons and things like that, isn't it? Yeah, uh, lovely edge-like guitar. Yep, I, I think this is um, this is where we're getting a window into the future of where Coldplay are going to go. This to me links up directly with songs in the future, like "Fix You," for example. It gets a very similar sort of sound, I think. Uh, even I think the "Oh Yeah" section is—it's so Bono. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> It's, um, it's the kind of thing that you could re- you that you know Bono would really love to do. Yeah. I think this is a song that they, if they were in the business of doing covers, mm. which thankfully at the moment they're not, but mm. it, this is the kind of song that would suit them really well to end a show. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I remember listening to this as a teenager and listening to those sections, the, the O's bit, which made me cringe a little bit hearing it this time, but it's purely time, it's purely the fact that you know, I've I've got older, but I was genuinely elated listening to this as a teenager. I absolutely love listening to this, and I was thinking, the way I feel about this song now is that the way people who don't like you too feel about you too. You know, when Bono's sort of pumping the air with with his fist and say and and doing these big sort of vocal melodies, and they're just thinking, oh, what an idiot. Is that kind of the way that people feel about you too who don't really like them? I I, I guess so in some ways. I, I get I, the thing with you two and Coldplay. I feel like the people who don't like them, um, it's because they've. It's like people who vote Labour because they've always voted Labour, or they always vote Conservative because they 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 they've just the way they've a, always a, done. A rut, yeah. And and so like it's you get into this point where oh it's you two. I don't like you two. Yes. So it doesn't matter what they bring out next. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you see them live, and you might stand there and be be. Um, impressed but because you've signed up to the, i don't like you too or yeah. i don't like coldplay yeah it's like you got a tattoo isn't it like yeah it's you it's almost like something you won't allow to change about yourself and it takes a big person to actually uh, you know change things genuinely and reassess stuff like I mean, i'm not just i'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here but like i genuinely thought that i hated oasis for a long portion of my life and now i quite like them you know and it's not just that I live in Burnage and I'm afraid of getting chinned by Noel or, you know, his mum. His mum's moved. No, remember that taxi driver told us that time. Oh, I'm mm. safe then. But no, I, I used to I used to not like them and and not and then also, like you say, not allow myself to like them. But now I, I, you know, there are certain songs that I, I don't know if they're my favourite band, but there's certain songs I really like. At the stage we're called player at now in, in the career, mm. and particularly after the last album, like, I did not want to go and watch Coldplay. Yeah. This time round, I've been to watch Coldplay before on the Milo's Iloto tour, mm. and thought it was one of the a, re- a really special evening, really fun, yeah, really good evening. I'm annoyed I didn't go to that. That would have been either that or Viva La Vida. I'm annoyed because I think I've genuinely missed out on a piece of rock history there. To be yeah. honest, of, of this particular type of rock, it did feel like you were somewhere. You know, you you were at a happening. It, you it was the place to be. Mm. Um, and there's not many bands really that you can you can say that it felt like that. Mm. Um, so, I when I, I got Ghost Stories, um, I was actually going for a breakup when Ghost Stories came through, and it was kind of my, like a, a conscious know, uncoupling. You know how something, yeah, you know how something will become an, like an anthem for a particular period in your life. Yeah, and that was that anthem for this for that yeah, period. I like that album, but now I understand why you like it so much. Then, yeah. Um, and then I left it a couple of years because I did, thought, well, 
you know, maybe it was because I what because I was going through a breakup that mm. that's why I liked it, and then I put it back on a couple of years later, and I still really enjoy it, and it mm. can, it it's it's like this shining beacon of hope throughout that 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 time where, mm. you know, you just sometimes you just don't know what's happening in your life, and you've got to reassess and reconfigure. Yeah, and and that album was fantastic, and I still think Ghost Stories is really good. Really wanted to go and see a tour of that, but they they didn't do a real tour. Because it wasn't a mm. real album, in in many ways they kept referring to it as an EP, which I that's weird. Yeah, I disagree with. Um, and then when Adventure of a Lifetime and Head Full of Dreams came out, I was it deflated me so much mm. that it, I I do think it's the worst album I've ever bought. Um, I just remember when that first single came out. It sounded like they were. I think it was the first single. It sounded like they one were, with the monkeys. I think so. Yeah. The one basically were they were trying to do a riff that sounded like Daft Punk's Get Lucky. Yes. About seven or eight years after that song was actually popular. It's really funny because the start of that song, uh, it's it's like a female voice is saying too far gone, but mm. it actually sounds like you sold out. So <laughs> so it's, it's high high pitch female voice. You sold out. Mm. You sold out. And I and I think yeah they did sell out completely. <laughs> Like they, for me at that point, they I think lost they found all it in artistic merit. Yeah, and they'd really been building something special since Viva La Vida. Mm. Viva La Vida um, is a stonking great achievement in the middle of their career. It's fantastic. That's the Joshua Tree. Yeah, yeah, I can, I could, I could agree with that. Or, or the, I've, I've always thought it is analogous to Unforgettable Fire in terms of a real swerve of direction and a big change in sound you know and there's almost this like opening up of the sound like like they had from water unforgettable fire but let's not talk about you two because we always <laughs> we've, we've done that already so uh let's, let's finish with uh everything's not lost um so one thing i did notice um because i know this song from several live versions was how empty it seemed when they started the o section but then as I listened more closely, what they do is every time that repeats, more and more voices are adding in. So there's three or four mm. Chris Martins in there mm. um, at, at, at one point. And it, it really builds, which just tells me that they had their eye on performing that live when they, when they were yeah. doing it. So if, if they did that live, particularly in the early days, where it starts off with Martin singing it, and then Will Champion comes in, Johnny Buckland, and mm. they, they just keep building up this chorus of voices, I think that... That may have got the crowd to do that. Yeah, I think they would it's definitely kind of have. They would have an eye on how we're going to perform this live. This must be essential when when you're this early on in your career. This song must be a, a real sort of centerpiece or a finishing off song, where you know you're going to get a big response and everyone, regardless of whether they've seen you or not before or know you very well, as they might not do by that point in their career, they will join in. So. Yeah, I think it, it it definitely does what it's meant to. Um, and once again, Berryman doing some really nice sort of counterpoint. He's a competent bassist. Oh, and this I, album. I know a lot of people that really don't like Guy Berryman. Yeah. Because um, he, he he's he doesn't. See, I I don't I don't think I would recognise if Guy Berryman walked past me in the street. Even with his incredibly handsome face that we've mentioned a few times. Well, yeah, well, he'd have to have his bass because he's the the most handsome bassist in the world, and without the bass, he's nothing. Um, I I would, but I wouldn't stop him for an autograph. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I'd like to have a pint with Will. 
He seems like the fun one of the group. I'd have a pint with Will and a nice chat about guitars with Johnny and uh, Kurt's handshake with Chris Martin. Yeah. As long as he's not got pen all over his hands. I'd just say to Chris Martin, what's Ricky Gervais like? <laughs> That'd annoy him, wouldn't it? Uh, he'd probably, probably, what's it I mean, like to be Ricky Gervais's mate? He'd probably... <laughs> this is an extras reference or something. <laughs> uh, anyway, right. Life is for living. Um... This to me, you know, I was saying before how there's it seemed like the, there's the big songs, there's a lot going on, and there's the subdued sort of Chris Martin smoky guitar whiskey that, that kind of sound. This sounds like one of the the Life Is for Living song. Um, uh, this sounds like a bad version of one of those. I don't like the way it's produced. I would never leave this on to listen to it um, after I'd heard Everything's Not Lost. It's, I think it's forgettable and it's sort of stretching towards trying to be a bit like the other songs and have some real resonance like sparks beautiful song and i I could listen to that on repeat for a long time i'm just not into this at all well what if you look at this track nine we never change track 10 everything's not lost track 11 really is life is for living it's Mm. like there's a story being told through the titles there very cliched story. Well, yeah, but you know, first album, twenty-one year, years old. Come on, yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah. So I, I think that it it kind of resolves itself. This album, there's an attempt of a story being told, but I wasn't aware of it until the very end. Mm. Um, so I, I like it. The track was often used as the show closer for many years. Um, you need to get everyone out of the building nice and quickly. <laughs> um. It's it sounds a bit like a hymn, which may be why you don't like it. <laughs> I'm not anti hymns. I just I just feel like um, like like perfect example. If this is a show closer and it's right at the end of an album that's early on, it's attempting to be something a bit like Forty. But Forty, this song ain't. No, it isn't. And if you if you listen to it, um, it must be really annoying the Coldplay fans. Like I did, I listened to this uh, late last night, and I was just um, I just had my headphones in and it, it starts with just chris martin and it sounds like a drunk walking home yeah just singing a song they've intentionally produced it that way but it doesn't sound good is he saying alcohol is the answer um i doubt it um why don't you just fill for a second while i check oh phil um, i forgot what <laughs> phil meant uh, bit of phil mitchell worst feeling i've ever heard um <laughs> Uh, which bit? Oh, he says sing R R O. That's that's all it says. There's no mention of alcohol. Oh, that's the other song, isn't it? <laughs> what song Everything's are you singing? Not lost. Um, yeah. So uh, again, now I never meant to do you wrong. That's just we're back in trouble here. Yeah. Uh, that's what I came here to say. I just, I don't know. I just think it's it's really bland and. It leaves a sour taste after everything's not lost. It, look, it's not it's not actively hateful to listen to. It's just it's just boring. Um, it's not my least favorite track on the album. Well, should we should we um, should we keep up the review two tradition and um, pick our favorite and least favorite song off the album? Um, yeah. I have not thought um, about what we're gonna do as a name for this, so we'll just have it as our hit and our dud. Yeah. That'll, that'll do. So what? I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that then. No, I'm not. No, family <laughs> show. Right. So, uh, Tyler, what is your hit? My hit um, is going to be High Speed because I felt like 
that's what this listen gave to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the most interesting song on the album. Um, not the best song in the world, but uh, an interesting listen nonetheless. Um, I, I was I would consider High Speed as mine, but um, Don't Panic. I love Don't Panic, and I always have, and I will never begrudge listening to it when I'm pottering around Tesco. Um, yeah, and my dud is Life is for Living. It's pointless. Uh, my dud is Don't Panic. What? Because uh, I, I don't think it does its job. It starts the album. Gets you hooked. Burly. Doesn't outstand you. Outstand you welcome. It, it just it doesn't do anything. It just, it's just there. Well. It's in the wrong place. Well, this is the show for controversy, it seems. Um, right, so I wanted to start a, um, a kind of a, an ending sort of feature here um, where we decide, um, can we mention this album? In the same breath as a particular U2 album. Okay. Um, so I would say um, the most analogous album at the time here would be All You Can't Leave Behind. Because that was, that was mentioned at the same time. So can we mention it in the same breath as as that, as, as, a, as a high level album that's, that's you know, as competent or, or in the same sort of tier? No, but I think U2 are too... Far ahead in the career, yeah. To make that a fair comparison, that I'd is feel, true. I'd feel much more comfortable. Um, see if we say boy, or maybe even that's October. twenty years too early. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, in terms of, uh, we're going to struggle for a U two comparison, but mm. if we compare this to um, Oasis's first album, that was about six years before. That's the kind of thing we should be looking at. Mm. Maybe this is a bad idea for an ending feature. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to agree with um, Pitchfork on this, which isn't going to make you happy. Yeah, I I just, I think Pitchfork, come on, like, I know we're not professional reviewers, Pitchfork are so, you can tell exactly what they're going to say about every album, and they're never going to like someone like Coldplay. Harmless and pretty, but nothing else. I think that's too. Um, that's far too harsh. I, I'll I add that, that it does show a lot of promise. Chris Martin, as you said earlier, has stated that um, that he and the rest of the band do not consider this to be a good album, mm. and um, they were generally surprised by its commercial success, which, by the way, is astounding. The album debuted at number one on the UK charts. It has been certified platinum platinum nine times. Well, uh, with sales, uh, the last time these sales were calculated was January two thousand and eighteen. So they, at that point, they had sales of over two point seven million. It's yeah. Coldplay's uh, second best album, uh, selling album Commercially so far. Speaking, yeah. Yes. Uh, and in July 2011, Parachutes climbed fr- back from 184 to uh, number 84 in the album's 318th charting week there. Right, okay. So it's since its release, mm. it's always charted. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think rightly so in a lot of ways. I think it's very, very consistent. Um I think both types of song genuinely work really, really well. The quieter, the more complex ones. Um, and it has a very sort of... I remember playing this album, as in on my CD player, but also trying to um, 
play it with my very very inferior guitar skills at the time in 2000 um our friend Vinny, who people who listen to review two will know from the rattling hum um, podcast um he's very competent piano player and he got the, the the tab and piano kind of book and i remember him going through all the chords and me just thinking wow all the chord changes here are really complicated i'm finding this really difficult um and really desperately trying to emulate that sound that johnny buckland had so like all albums it's got a nostalgic kind of appeal to me that places me back in his house near his piano playing music and at the time i was still getting into this idea of wow people don't just sing in a rocky voice people can have this beautiful delicate voice as well and chris martin i know you don't like him particularly but it sounds fantastic on this album and even if we're being a bit critical i i I really really rate this album i think it's uh, i think it's great um and i i don't know if coldplay have been as consistent again really yeah i think maybe i i've i've come down quite hard on on this album which is perhaps unfair because it is is the debut album Mm. and it's a group of 20 and 21 year olds uh, so yeah. may- maybe I should give them a break. The, the songs I... are more developed than a lot of a lot of early U two songs, and that's me saying that. You know, <laughs> is it? I thought it was someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do prefer Boy by like a, a mile, but you know. Yeah, um, but I am. I, I do want to say this. I am a Coldplay fan, and I am always interested in what the what they're doing. Mm. Um, the only reason I own the last album is because I'm interested in what they do. At least I buy the album. The only, the only yeah. person winning in this situ- situation is. Uh, the band themselves because they've done enough to interest me where they're always going to get my money now. Yeah. And maybe that makes me a bit of a fool, but I kind of stick with the the bands that interest me. And Mm. I, I am interested to see what they do next and I want them to strip it back a little bit. I see. I thought they might, might be on the edge of just breaking up essentially after that last album. I thought that was meant to be somewhat of a swan song, albeit a dead swan. Just over in the last few years, um, made it big in America, mm. and once you once you really make it big in America, mm. uh, you, you you're gonna make a lot more money, aren't you? Suppose so, so. The, stick around. I would. Yeah, I mean, artistically speaking, I would be interested to see um, what Buckland does in particular to just see what what other sort of things he could bring to, he could bring to the table. Really, I'd love a, a just a solo album from him doing guitar-y stuff. Um, doing ambient stuff but that that's just i like ambient music that's it yeah the last thing i'll say is that this album clearly had a great impact on on coldplay's career and well, yeah. really helped them out you can't argue with sales you can argue with critics like me we're not critics <laughs> um we have an opinion yeah fine um but sales don't have an opinion and you know an album that probably eventually will sell what what did I say? It's heading towards three million copies. You know yeah. who who am I to say that this isn't a good album? It's just it it's not for me. It's for me. It's not the most interesting thing that they they ever did or have done so far. Okay, so we'll leave it there then. Uh, that was our first episode of Then You Might Like. Um, obviously, get in touch. Uh, I'll leave the contact details on the end of this. We'll probably just keep them the same as the regular Review 2 ones. Yeah, I'm going to keep the same. Uh, uh, keep the episodes coming out on the Review 2 channel on SoundCloud. That makes sense. Uh, because we're skin flints. Well, and it just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, really? Yes. Um, yeah, so... 
do get in touch. If this is your first episode and you've somehow got here via the sort of Coldplay thing, um, nice to see you. Um, do check out our YouTube episodes. If you've hated it, fair enough. Um, we never said we're experts and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it if you have. Do you want to say anything else? Say goodbye. See you later. Bye. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review to to you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review to or search for the review to podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review to contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.